0: You're in good voice this morning. I want to reach for a Bible and turn to Romans chapter three. Romans three. We're going to read from verse 21 to 26 in the pew Bibles. If you've got one of them, it's on page 1131, 1131. And as we read this, keep in mind those two questions from the Vox Pop: Uh, What is a good person? And why did Jesus die? And we'll read this together. So Romans, 1, sorry, Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now let's pray and ask for God's help before we think about this together. Our Father in heaven, we are so prone to think of ourselves too much and to think too highly of ourselves. So we pray this morning in some ways that you would give us the ability to get over ourselves, to hear what your word has to say is true about us. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. It was the 30th of August, 2006. Mom had already left for work, so me and Dad were sat having breakfast, and the smell of burnt toast was lingering throughout the house. Our chat was only interrupted by the sound of the letterbox fluttering and the post hitting the mat. Me, being the more sprightly of the ones between me and my dad in the mornings, jumped up and retrieved the post as normal. Nothing for me. So I indulge myself in the junk mail, looking at what's on offer in Iceland this week, and hand the rest to my father. After a few moments' silence, there was a splutter of coffee as my dad burst out in almost laughter, saying, Your mum's been caught speeding. <laughs> now then, to me, this is gold dust. The amount of times that my mother had said, Andy, slow down. Andy, slower, or infinite. And so to have this information, to have this ammunition, This is interesting. So up I jump and peer over my dad's shoulders to read the particulars. It read, speed, 77 miles an hour, speed limit, 50 miles an hour. Not just speeding, but according to the letter, excessive speeding. Date, 23rd of August, 2006. Now, this is where we hit a snag. Dad says, was Mum not working last Wednesday? Yes, I eagerly replied. But the time of the speeding offence was while she was at work. Who was driving? Was it you? I asked my dad. I was in Northern Ireland, Dad replies. Now, you're probably looking at me thinking, there's no way you were old enough to drive in 2006. But I did have my licence at this point, and you. My dad's no private investigator, but even a Muppet could work out where the buck was about to stop. Andy, he asks, where were you last Wednesday? (laughs) Never before has a sense of guilt hit me so fast and so suddenly as that moment. And how do we react when the sense of guilt hits? We immediately make excuses. An excuse me, I did. I questioned the accuracy of the cameras. Surely they must be wrong. I questioned the speed limit of the road. It's no way a 50, it should be at least a 70. Now I was doing 77, so even in a 70, I would have been flashed. But when you're guilty, you clutch at any straw that is within reach. I knew I was in trouble. I was alone in the house with my dad. This, this was dangerous. But more than that, I was in trouble with the law. Edinburgh District Council had an excessive charge against me, and it was not just going to be a £30 uh, fine with three points on my license. Because of the excessive nature, there would be a court hearing. I was guilty, and my dad made it very clear that I was going to pay. The price must be paid. For the next month, as I waited the hearing, uh, the sense of guilt was growing. And it's interesting guilt is always twofold isn't it on one sense there's that feeling of guilt i knew i was guilty and it was wrecking me inside but on the other hand there's the external guilt the objective guilt i was guilty before the law of the land there were lots i could do to try and relieve the inward guilt i could try and justify my actions but before edinburgh district court there was nothing i could do the price must be paid. Uh, the feeling of guilt inside is interesting. As a human race, we've come up with lots of different ways that we try and relieve that subjective guilt. Have you tried any of these three? First, there's the intellectual way. What's step number one? Just lower your standards. So if you don't meet your standard, what do you do? Just lower it slightly, and the guilt flies. What's the problem? We miss that one. And standards drop and drop and drop, so we need another intellectual way. So what do you do? You find someone who is worse than you. You find the guy who was driving faster in a lower speed limit and try and hope that the guilt flies. What if that doesn't work? Well, finally, intellectually, you can turn a vice into a virtue so that what is actually wicked, meaning bad, becomes wicked good. So actually amongst, amongst 17 and 18 year old boys, the hero is the one who drives the fastest. The vice becomes a virtue. The one who gets the most drunk at the Christmas party is the one who gets the most applause on the Monday morning. The man with the most sexual partners becomes the one who is labeled and titled a legend. You make a vice into a virtue and the guilt flies. There's physical ways as well. Uh, some of us, when guilt comes, subjectively turn to the official guilt relief headquarters, also known as the pub. If guilt doesn't fly after point one and point two, maybe it will go after point nine and ten. Liberation is found in the bottle of the next, bottom of the next bottle. Others of us just talk incessantly. What sound can a guilty person not tolerate? Silence. And so the sound of guilt is constant noise. The TV's always on, the radio's always on, silence is always broken because a gap in conversation is like a dagger to the heart of a guilty person. But as well as the intellectual ways and the physical ways, you could try religious ways. On the off chance that there is a God, you can somehow try to pacify him with a ritual or a prayer or good deeds towards your neighbor to... Offset this subjective feeling of guilt before a possible deity. All of us try these uh, rele- guilt relieving measures for that subjective feeling that so often we feel. But there's still a problem. Because upon receiving that letter in the post addressed to my mum but meant for me, even if I had piled into pint glass after pint glass after pint glass, there was still this objective reality that before the law of the land, I was going to court. I could compare myself to someone worse. I could find someone who was drunk driving and who caused great devastation and say, at least I was in control of my body and my car. But objectively, I'm still guilty before the law of the land. Just trying to get rid of the subjective ignores the reality of the objective. A law had been transgressed. The lawmaker was very aware of the crime, and so the lawbreaker will pay. Now, when it comes to God's word, which is living and is active, we find that we have not just fallen short of the standards we set ourselves or the standards that society has set, but actually we fall short of our greater standard. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What I want to do briefly is reverse you through that text, picking up certain words. So first, the glory of God. As the creator, it is his right to set the standards for morality. It is not up to whatever brings most good to humanity or what causes most harm to humanity that determines what is guilt and what is innocence. But it is the glory and goodness of God. There's a great old Scottish saying which says, "Only measure yourself uh, sorry, only measure your shadow with a high sun." There's a lot of wisdom in that. If you measure the length of your shadow by a low sun, what outcome do you get? It's pretty favorable. You look bigger and more impressive than you actually are. But if you measure yourself only by a high sun, it gives you a correct understanding of who you are. Compare yourself to other people or to anything else, you might appear good. It's interesting, that little vox pop. Quite a few people said, I'm good. I would hope to think most people are good. But actually the guilt that comes through the understanding of God's word has a distinctive God-word direction. When you measure yourself by the high sun of the glory of God, we get a different measurement to our shadow. His glory sees behind the facade of our togetherness, behind the privacy of our private homes, into the intentions of our hearts, through the thoughts of our minds, and collecting the secrets of our past. Um, Historically, you could retreat into your home, and you could be safe, from the watching eyes. You could have a public persona, but actually have a private, um, a a different reality in private. Social media has changed that, hasn't it? So that even in your secretness, in the privacy of your own home, the world of self-display and self-consciousness is always with us. before the face of God. It is not about social media to publicize what you are not, but it is about the glory of God to reveal who you actually are. And the high son of God's glory shows us what? Next words as we reverse through, that we have fallen. The high sun of God's glory shows that the guilt outside of ourselves before God's perfect standard and character is one that we have fallen short of the last couple of years in british life have been pretty spectacular we've loved the olympics we've loved the jubilee haven't we we love what is beautiful and what is strong and what is good and so we focus on that but behind every usain bolt there is a lance armstrong Behind every Johnny Depp, there is a Cory Monteith. Behind every United Kingdom, there is a Syria. Behind every smile, there is a sigh. Behind every closed door, there is a deep struggle. And behind every pretense, there are private battles. The reality is that we are fallen. And what we have fallen short of is not just our own expectations or the cultural norm, but this glory of the creator God. Fallen, because we have, keep going, sinned. That word is just the title for a lawbreaker in God's words, the Bible. We have fallen short of his standard and so that is our deserved title, sinner. A law has been transgressed. The lawbreaker, God is intimately and completely aware of our transgressions and we will pay for our lawbreaking. Our status before the bar of God's courtroom is guilty. There's nothing we can do to relieve that status, to change that reality. We are fallen and we are sinful. One more word. All. Why would I dare admit my driving transgressions in a room this size? Well, because I know that I'm not the only transgressor in the room. In a room this size, there are many things that would distinguish us from each other, but there is one thing that completely unites us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe this morning you would describe yourselves as an agnostic. You know, you're unsure, you're indifferent, you're confused, you're ambivalent about God and his word, the Bible. Your scepticism does not relieve you of this objective guilt before God's bar. God's word could not be clearer in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My crime ended up getting me four points on my license and a £100 fine. What is the punishment for those who have fallen short of God's glory? Well, the glory of God is seen in his righteousness. The glory of God is seen in his justice. The glory of God is seen in his judgment. And the glory of God is seen in the reality of hell. The price that is paid for falling short of God's standards is the price of life itself. The price must be paid. The question then that we must be asking is how do we move in God's courtroom from guilty to righteous? Is that possible? Is there a way to move from this guilt that is deserving of judgment and hell to innocence and even better than that, righteousness? What would some religions say is the movement from innocence to righteousness? Well, most would say, so long as your good deeds outweigh the reasons for your guilt, then you'll be alright. So long as that measurement is favorable, then you will be declared innocent. See, the trouble with that is, it is man-centered, and it reveals a passive, unloving God who has no concern for justice. You cannot just overlook bad things because of Good things. The price must be paid. The pedophile must be charged and imprisoned. The rapist must take the consequences of his actions. The person who speeds must pay the punishment due. God cannot just overlook bad things because someone has been kind to their neighbor or given to charity so how can this movement from guilt to righteous take place well the distinguishing mark of christianity is that this movement from guilt to righteousness has nothing to do with what you do Let's go on to the next verse, Romans 3, verse 24. This is not achieved intellectually or physically or religiously, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. I want to reverse you back through that again to explain it. Firstly, Christianity is all about grace. Not getting what you do deserve and being given what you don't deserve. It is not good deeds rewarded and therefore heaven earned, but it is heaven gifted on the basis of grace. Christianity is grace through and through. And so the second word comes close on its heels, grace freely given. What Paul tells us about the movement from Guilt to righteous in God's courtroom is given to you freely. If you're a tourist in Scotland, let me tell you something about the Scottish race. We love free stuff. Here is the truth about the good news of God's courtroom. His movement that he brings himself from guilt to righteousness is freely given. It costs you nothing. It is a free gift. The righteousness you long for, the righteousness that you need to avoid the outcome of your guilt, is freely given. But how? How does that happen? Well, we are justified freely by his grace. Justification is a big word. Justification means the declaration of God that you are righteous. So that as you stand in his courtroom, the judge declares that you have that you are righteous. That your status has changed, though your status was sinner, guilty. That that status has been declared as righteous by the judge. Now, if you are thinking there should be an objection rising in your mind, it should be that is not justice. You cannot take someone who is guilty and simply declare them to be otherwise. The price must be paid. Yes, exactly. And so you get to Romans 3, 24b, and we see that we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The price must be paid. And it is by Jesus on his cross. It is as if Jesus walks up to you in God's courtroom and says, you are guilty and you deserve to face the full fury of this courtroom. And yet I'm going to pay the price that is on your head. It is my guilt transferred to Jesus and his righteousness transferred to me so that he dies that I might live. He suffers the hell that I would deserve on the cross so that I might be righteous in God's sight. He faces death. He is raised up on a cross for all to see, facing the full fury of God's courtroom. It, for him, was the costliest thing of all, his very self, his very blood, his very life. For him, the costliest thing in the world. For you, the freest thing in the world. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Fascinating in that Vox Pop. Why did Jesus die? Interesting people saying, I don't think he did. I was under the impression that history is pretty certain that Jesus lived and was killed on a cross. That's not up to debate. When asked why, people said, I don't know. Here's the reason why. That he would pay the price that my sin deserved, that God might declare me to be righteous in his sight. God is a God of justice and one day his justice will be demonstrated in you and that could be in one or two places will it be on that final judgment day where you are the one who faces the punishment that you deserve for your guilt before him or will it be demonstrated in the cross of Christ your guilt transferred to him your punishment satisfied in his cross that your justice is found in his death so that you might be made righteous. Justice in you will be done. There is this objective guilt that is outside ourselves; that intellectually, physically, or religiously we can do nothing about. But in the good news of Jesus, he has done everything that is necessary. Maybe this morning you've been made aware of your guilt before God for all have sinned maybe this morning that all has become an I I have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God if that is you let me encourage you today could be the day where your status is changed from guilty to righteous today could be the day where you are moved from God's courtroom to his family from being guilty to forgiven to facing death, to knowing eternal life. Let me put a prayer on the screen. A simple prayer that claims the work of Jesus by faith and thanks God for it. If this is you today, I'm going to read out this prayer slowly. You can pray it in your own mind after me. And this could be the day of newness of life, of conscience cleansed, of sins forgiven. Let's pray this prayer. Eternal God, I confess that I am a sinner, guilty of falling short of your glory and deserving of your justice. I believe that Jesus died. Bearing my guilt, gifting me his righteousness, and that through faith in him I am justified. Thank you for this free gift of grace. Amen. We're going to finish our service by singing a great hymn. Uh, We love it as Christians because it is all about this finished, completed work of Jesus. Uh, In Christ alone, my hope is found. Uh, Let's stand and let's sing together.